Uh, I've got like just one hopefully relatively simple uh, point of the sermon today, which is the point of this passage uh, this week. Um, hopefully, we'll get it. Get it on. The, I'll try and get it on the screen. Yeah, there we go. Um, uh, and this is this is the point. The Christian life is all about faith in Christ, trusting in Christ. It's all about that, and not your spiritual performance. Not the stuff that you can do from beginning to end. It's all about faith in Christ and not your performance. It always has been and it always will be. Now, now for some of us, that's not news. Um, but for some of us, that is. And if that is news for you today, I really, I really hope you'll listen. You'll get hold of this in your heart and life for the first time. For, for those of us for whom it isn't news, we've heard it before. Isn't it funny how it's the sort of thing that we can kind of functionally let slip away from actually believing it in our daily life. So maybe you just think, well, that's a bit simple, isn't it? You're not going to tell me anything new. And yet, if we think about our lives, so often we forget these things. It's like when you think about how it's going for you spiritually, often don't, don't, don't you end up thinking of how you are performing. How much have I read the Bible this week? How much have I prayed or, or not prayed? Have, have I kept the major sins at bay? Well, if so, it's a good week. And if not, it's a bad week. Uh, have I got unresolved doubts that I don't know what to do with? However we answer those questions, whether it makes us feel spiritually good or it makes us feel really quite low, it's all about our performance, isn't it? It's all about me and how I'm doing. And it's just funny how something that, is, that starts out as simple trust in Christ for us, over time, can get clogged up by a load of other thoughts, a load of other feelings. We can get ourselves in a bit of a spiritual mess at times. That is what's going on in Galatia when this letter was first written to, to the Christians, even amongst some leaders of the church, they started out living by faith and relying on grace alone, and then over time some stuff happened and they stopped, they kind of let that fall away and, and slip back into this works mindset, into this spiritual performance mindset before God. They started to think and feel and act like they've got to spiritually perform in some way. They've got to be something or do something to be okay. And then they started to expect that of others. And so others had to spiritually perform as well to, to be okay. So the thing that's going on in Galatia is probably less about uh, how, you, how you kind of get accepted by God in the first place. And more the question of how you go on and how you continue being acceptable to God. And actually acceptable to other Christians as well. And so that's where the performance comes in. And you've got to start keeping up appearances. And you've got to prove you're good enough or, or meet certain standards in some way. And uh, I think that's the place that we're more likely to undermine grace. Probably when, we, when we're out there sharing the message of Jesus with people, we say, look, this is a free gift. This is grace. It's amazing. And in those early stages, someone comes to faith and we start to disciple them and teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus. We just keep throwing grace at them. But then maybe over time, as we push on into deeper maturity of one another, Maybe we stop talking about grace and thinking about grace and we can start to let that slide. Paul's been put, putting forward this case uh, in, in, in the book of Galatians so far. He said, look, there's one good news message. There's one gospel from God and it's all about the grace of Christ to and for us. And this message of, of Christ's grace sets us free, spiritually speaking. And so he says... The fact that there is this good news message means you don't have to rely on your own performance and your own human strength to get in with God and be accepted by him. And so because there is this one message of grace, also we don't impose things on others, standards of performance that they have to be acceptable to us. No, we live by faith in Christ alone. Paul has made that point really clearly, and we've seen it over the first couple of chapters. But, but what's happened 
start of, of chapter 3, is that it's as if the Galatians have become bewitched. They, they've been enticed away from faith to works. From just trusting in Jesus to feeling like you've got to perform in some way. To, to get it, they've been cast under a spell and they're acting like fools. You know the TV shows where the hypnotist gets some people up on stage and casts a spell over them and gets them doing, you know, I don't know, acting like a donkey or I don't know, doing all kinds of stupid stuff on stage on national TV. When you received and you believe the good news that your acceptance before God is a gift from him in Christ, your eternal salvation, your forgiveness of sins, your uh, everlasting life to the full, it's a gift that Jesus has paid for you. It's really foolish to then move away from that, to think I've got to earn it or achieve it or do it myself in some way. It's mental to go back to those old ways of thinking. Like I've got to earn it and deserve it and achieve it. And it's deadly. It's a spell that is cast over us and we're bewitched and we're taken in by all the promise and yet it turns out to be a curse. So in, in chapters 3 and 4, given that's what's happened, what Paul gives like the smelling salts to kind of to bring us back to our senses. To, to draw us out of that spiritually hypnotized state of relying on our performance and bring us back into the spiritual reality of the grace of Christ. And he's like a, a lawyer. He's made this case in chapters 1 and 2 and now he's building on his case and he's bringing forth evidence and examples and reasons for why we need to continue relying on faith in Christ alone and not turn to having to perform in some way for our Christian life. He wants to just drive this into our head and heart by example after example after example. He wants us to wake up from under that spell. You know, when the hypnotist clicks the fingers and someone comes back to, and then they kind of realize what they've done on national TV in front of everyone. And it's that moment. Click the fingers here, chapter 3. Come back to yourself. Come back to yourself. There's two examples in this passage that, um, that Naomi read for us that support this case, that the Christian life is all about faith and not works and not performance. The first uh, example is our personal experience that every Christian has at the beginning of our Christian life. And the second example is Abraham, this ancient man of faith, the father of faith. Listen, we're going to explore these examples, and the aim is this, that we would help each other stop being fools. Don't be so stupid, guys. Come back to our senses. It's not about our spiritual performance. It's only, always, and forever about Christ. So let's stay calm and trust in Christ together. Here's the first example, your personal experience of faith. You see, faith has always been your way as a Christian, so continue to rely on faith alone. And we need to be clear on what faith is. The, the definition in the Bible is a bit different to what we often uh, would think of, I think, when we think of, of faith. If you look at verses 2 and 5 uh, there, you see that uh, Paul writes it as believing what you heard. Specifically about Jesus, believing the message of Jesus. Uh, this may be a bit simple in some ways, but, but it's helpful to, uh, to think of it like, like a chair sometimes. Uh, I think this is just quite a helpful uh, yeah, an analogy for thinking about it. And uh, you, can, uh, you can think of uh, a chair making you an offer, Okay making you an offer, stood there here with its four strong legs and its nice sturdy seat and its, its nice firm back. And I can hold you. You can sit on me. You're going to be fine with me. It's not going to be embarrassing in front of all of these people. Put your faith in me. 
And, you know, you could be told that that chair can hold you. You can even hear it talking to you and beckoning you, I can hold you. You, you, you might even be sure that it can. You might stand right close to the chair. You might be really into chairs and know all about them. You might be able to make chairs. You might go to chair conventions. You could do the whole thing. You could be the world expert. But until you sit on it, you haven't got faith in the chair, have you? You might be close by. You might know all about it. Until you sit down, you are not actually putting any weight on the chair. You're not actually testing it and proving, yeah, that chair can hold me. Yes. I believe in it. I, I know it can do that. But that's the way that we're to respond to Christ. The Galatians, along with every other Christian, started out the Christian life by putting their faith in Christ. They put some weight on that promise. They, they, they lived as if it was true. It's how they received the Spirit, how they experienced miracles, Paul writes, by faith. It's how their whole eternal uh, life, their whole life was turned right round by believing what they heard about Christ, about his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his uh, victorious resurrection from the dead and his, and his going up to heaven to rule and reign. And they strength tested that and they acted and lived as if it's true. They put their faith in it. They put some weight of life on it. Now, some of us in this room aren't there yet today with Christ. It's a bit like the chair, isn't it? You might know so much of him. You might have heard so often. In one sense, you're so close, and it might look like you've got faith because you rock up at church, and you're at the occasional Bible study, and and you know how to do and say the right thing, and maybe your parents are Christian, and you're just used to this stuff, but you haven't actually yet sat down on the chair. You haven't actually yet put your own faith in him. You're not really living as if his offer is true in all of life. It's one thing rocking up here on a Sunday. It's another thing Wednesday night and Thursday morning and Friday afternoon. You haven't got this kind of faith. So the message to you today, if this is resonating in your heart, stop loitering around the chair and just sit down. Just take a seat. Rest. Rest. Put your faith in Christ. Put all of your faith in Christ. He will hold you. That's where it starts for all Christians. That's where it starts for all of us. Not, it's not thinking, if I can just try hard enough, I might be able to cut it. That, that, that This offers me a good way to a kind of a new moral life. and I can be a better person and, and, and work on self-improvement. Or this is another arena in which I can excel and show the world how great I am. No, that's not where it starts. For some of us, it was like a light flicked on in a second. For others, it was like a, a kind of a, a slow, dawning realization, like, like a sunrise. But for all of us, it is the same thing. We come face to face with Christ. We realize he's the son of God. We realize who he is and what he's done. He, he gave himself for me on the cross. He paid for my sins. See, to be a Christian is have, to have believed in Christ. And so that's why Paul takes them back, verse 1 to what first happened before they were bewitched by all this stuff to do a spiritual performance. The Galatians were happily going about their life in first century Roman Empire. They probably were most likely believing in different Greek and Roman gods, just doing their business. And Paul and Barnabas rock up and they start sharing this message of Christ, who he is and what he's done. And and they hear this message and, and Paul writes verse one, before their very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And they believed in him. And so that is the start line for them of the Christian life. Now listen, it's very unlikely that any of the Galatians were at 
the actual crucifixion of Jesus about 15, 16, 17 years earlier in Jerusalem. None of them actually were there and saw it themselves. They only heard about it from Paul and Barnabas as it was preached, and they saw it reflected in their lives. Because Paul and Barnabas, as they went around preaching, they were getting a right hard time for it. Actually, around Galatia, uh, they had loads of like, death threats against them and stuff. At one point, they, they, people threw so many rocks at them that they thought they were dead and they were left for dead. By a miracle, they weren't, and, and they, kind of, they went on. They faced illness and all sorts of things, all of this opposition. And so they saw in these people who were sharing the good news of Jesus such suffering that somehow it brought a life. I brought alive this message that they were, they were preaching. And so they encountered this good news of Christ, and it was such a real encounter to them. It was so powerful in their lives, it was as if they had been there on the front row, stood by the cross watching Jesus die. See, for every Christian, that is the moment where it starts. Christ's death on the cross becomes not just something that we sing about in church or we hear about or whatever, but it becomes something that's really personal. As Johnny said, was for me, we saw in last week's text. So there's a sense in which I was there. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. It's, it's that moment in history crashing into my life in this moment in history of a power and a force and a presence and a reality that raises me from spiritual death to spiritual life. And there's nothing that I brought to that moment other than the sin that I needed saving from. It's not to do with my own strength or power. And so if that's how it started for me, and if that's how it started for you, then how are we going to go on? How are we going to bring that to completion or, or, or finish that, Paul says? Why would you now try and finish by your own strength and your own power and your own performance what started by the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Why would works complete what was started by faith? These are rhetorical questions. There's three of them in verses 2 to 5. They're eventually the same thing. The question is this. Is the Christian life all about works of law, all about spiritual performance and what you can do, or is it all about believing what you heard, believing what you heard, believing what you heard, the good news of Christ and trusting in him, and so having the power of the Spirit at work in you? The answer is obvious, hopefully, from what I've been saying. It's not works of law. It is the spirit and faith in Christ. Believing the good news. The whole Christian life from beginning to end. That is what it is. It is in Christ and not in your spiritual performance. Given that's the case, why would we make it about us? Why do you make it about what we do or don't have? What we can or can't do? What we do find easy to believe or, or find hard to believe? Why do we do that when it's all about him? Listen, it's all good for us because our faith is in Christ. Not because of the quality of our faith, not because of our ability not to have doubts, but the quality of him. It's the fact that he can deliver. We saw last week this idea of uh, Galatians 2 verse 16 being justified by faith in Christ. The footnote there really helpfully says that actually justified, which just means kind of accepted before God by the faithfulness of Christ. It's because he can hold it up. Think of it like this. It's, it's, it's the chair that holds you up, not your belief that it will. It's the chair that does the holding up when you sit on it, doesn't it? Your belief that, you will causes you, uh, that it will causes you to sit on it. That's significant, but it's not your belief that keeps you up. It's the chair. It is the faithfulness 
It is the trustworthiness. It is the promise-keeping. It is the faithful love. It is the power and authority. It is the goodness. It is the supremacy of Christ that makes our faith work, that holds us up, that makes it certain, that keeps us secure. Don't trade that out for relying on your own flimsy and weak efforts, you being, being able to bring your A game by your own strength. Or as Paul says, don't be fools. Stop being fools. Who's bewitched us when we think like that? What kind of spell has been cast over Christians and churches when we go back to that way of thinking? Some of you have, have, have heard me say this, but I, I find it tempting when I think back of my own story of what God's done in my life. I think back to when... Christ saved me and how young and useless and confused and stupid I was when I first put my faith in him. And you're thinking, what's changed apart from the young thing? I know. Um, uh, but it's tempting for me to think, well, actually, I see that a bit later on in my life, I, kind of, I started to take Jesus a bit more seriously and, and I started to understand some stuff and I started to serve him in ways. So, so maybe I became a Christian then when I became like, useful as a Christian, you know? When I could actually do something or, or, or be of help in some way. And no. No, no, no. That kind of thinking is foolish. That is stupid. That's bewitched. That's stepping away from relying on simple faith in Christ when we bring nothing to the deal and thinking somehow it becomes at some point about my works, about my performance, about how good I am or whatever else, how much I can perform. God showed me Christ when I was good for nothing. And to be honest, I'm good for nothing today. Without the grace of Christ about his goodness to me, good for nothing. But that's okay, because he's good for everything. And he's got me, and he's got you. And so we'll be okay in the end. Listen, I don't know if you think back in your story, just remember how much of a, maybe the first time you heard that, or the first time you really got that, that was just like a breath of fresh air. That just brought a smile to your face, didn't it? That was just like, I don't know. I know for Luke, he was like collecting glasses in a bar, and he was like skipping around, and like everyone was like, what, what's, what's up with you guys? I mean, that's weird. But like that, that's the sort of thing it does to you when you first realize that. Why do we turn away from that? Why do we let go? That, that, that freedom, that life, that, that's for the whole Christian life. That's here for us today. Don't let go of that freedom now. This is the Christian experience. This is the Christian life from beginning to end. It's by the power of the Spirit. It's the grace of Christ. And it's just faith. It's just belief. It's just taking Jesus at his word. Let's stay in that place. And here's our second example. It's Abraham's experience of faith. See, it's not only that faith has always been your way as a Christian, but it's always been the way for the people of God. We are, and we always have been, we always will be a people who rely on God and God alone for our life and our hope and our salvation. That is a well-trodden path. It's a proven way of life. And Paul goes all the way back to this guy, Abraham, to show, he's, he calls him the father of faith, and he shows us how faith has always been the way into and the way on as the people of God. Now, it, it gets a little bit confusing here, admittedly, but Abraham is basically a key part of the backstory that makes sense of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and he's a key figure for these false teachers around Galatia at the time as well, because he's kind of this, this Jewish guy par excellence. And so, Many centuries before Christ, Paul says, Abraham received the good news in advance that people would be acceptable by, uh, accepted to God and get good with him, not by what they do, but by faith that is given to them. 
In fact, Paul says Abraham had that experience himself of faith. Abraham was this random guy just kicking around the world, and God came and said, Abraham, I'm going to make some promises to you. I'm going to make a a covenant with you. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all nations of earth. And and those in your family will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and, and as diverse as the nations across the earth. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his belief in the promises of God that made him right with God, and nothing else, not his actions. And so these false teachers who are confusing the Galatians, going back to Moses and talking about the law and, and what you've got to do and this, that, and the other, Paul's saying, the guys, you need to go further back to Abraham, long time before Moses came. It's all about promise. It's all about the word of God. And, and the point is clear. Christians are, and the people of God always have been, fundamentally a people of promise and not of performance. What we get here are these six quick-fire quotes in the Old Testament around the life of, of Abraham, which, which kind of unfold this tight argument. And uh, We're not going to do an in-depth Bible study on these now. You'll be, you'll be pleased to know. And there's some big words here. There's words like justification and righteousness. Don't be put off by them. They just mean that basically uh, it's the way of explaining that we're accepted by God and we're good with him. We're in good relationship with God again. Uh, the basic point of, of the thread of this, uh, of this kind of example and this argument is that the scriptures show us that the way into a blessing and renewed relationship with God as his child is, you guessed it, believing God's word. Believing God's promises. And it also shows us that actually relying on your own performance or relying on what you can do in some way, well, that is the sure way towards a curse. See, there's this talk of blessings and curses here. It's a little bit foreign to us. I, I realize that. It's not the sort of language you use every day uh, nowadays. But, but it refers to our status and our relationship before God. Uh, either we're in his family by faith and so receive his blessings and life of him, or we keep ourselves far away and so therefore we put ourselves under God's judgment, effectively cursed. And if you look at verses 9 and 10, they just, they just summarize it so helpfully. Paul writes, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. The righteous, those acceptable to uh, and accepted by God, live by faith and not by their own uh, works or performance. And for Abraham on, it always has been that way between God and his people. And so when we get the invite into that story, we're invited into this long story of faith, of finding blessing and life and wholeness in believing God's word and believing what he says and relying on it. Now, Paul is aware of the alternative being offered, this spell that's being cast by these false teachers. And he has this warning about it. He warns us, he warns the Galatians, if you rely on that kind of stuff, this is where it heads, verse 10. You go down that road, relying on your own works and performance, you put yourself under a curse. And that's because Scripture tells us that Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So when you start out relying on your own spiritual performance, then you've got to see that through to the end too. You've got to, uh, unless you or I can fully and completely and always and forever live up to the righteous and perfect standards of God's law through our lives, which we can't, then we become lawbreakers and we fall short and we find ourselves under the curses that the law reserves for those who fall foul of it. So listen, we all miss this mark, uh, this mark 
And so that spiritual way of life is a dead end for us. Trying to perform and do it by ourselves. No one is right with God by their own performance and by their own works. No one has the ability to keep the law of God through and through and through. No one is perfect. No one can attain that life of blessing under his favor and the sunshine of his goodness by themselves. There is no one righteous, not even one. Well, gloriously, it's not quite true, is it? There is one. There is one alone who is righteous. There is one alone who is good, who who is perfect. There is one who did continually and always keep the law of God at every point. There is one, in fact, who filled the law of God up to all of its fullness so that it overflowed and put it on display through his life. See, the only way for us to get out of being under the curse for those who fail to live up to God's standards, the answer is in verse 13. This is our only way out. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The perfect one, Christ, the Son of God, the only one who was never under God's curse, who was always in his blessing, has redeemed. That means rescued us. He's come and got us and brought us out. And how did he do that? Verse 13 goes on, by becoming a curse for us. For cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, or you could say hung on a cross. See, on the cross, Christ took what we had, the curse of God, and he gave us what he had, the life and the blessing and the fullness of God. And so this brings us back to the centrality of the cross. The centrality of the cross of Christ to our good news. Jesus clearly portrayed as crucified before our very eyes. This is the place that we start out from as Christians. It's where the Christian life starts. And it's the place that we never, ever, ever leave as Christians. We don't want to just depart from, from believing in that. This is the whole scope of the Christian life in all its fullness. Christ died for me. My faith is in him. My confidence is in him and not in me. Slightly more dynamic kind of imagery than for faith than sitting on a chair is sitting on a plane. It doesn't matter how confident a flyer you are. It doesn't matter how doubtful you feel or how scared you are of flying and how doubtful you are that the plane will get safely to the destination. It doesn't matter how much or how little you understand jet engines and the physics of how something that heavy can go through. I mean, I have no idea. It doesn't matter whether you've got the ability to pilot a plane or build a plane or whatever else. You will get to your destination safely, not because of you and what you understand and what you get and how clever you are or how confident you are, but because of the quality of the plane and the pilot. And the person who's super confident and relaxed, and the person who's really not that confident, if they're on the plane, they're both going to get there, right? It makes no difference whatsoever. The only thing to stop you getting to the destination is not getting on the plane, isn't it? That's where the faith is. Get on the plane and sit down. Listen, guys, the cross of Christ is as true and real for your life today as it was on the day you first believed. It's as relevant today as ever. So let's banish from our hearts and minds these, at least in this moment, 
Let's just get rid of it amongst ourselves. Any notion that we have to be something or we have to do something or we have to prove or achieve something to be acceptable before God or indeed before one another. It is all a gift of Christ and his grace through the cross. Some people see in in, in verse 1 that before your very eyes, Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified, a reference to the Lord's Supper where the the death of Christ is clearly portrayed before our eyes. In fact, we could go further and say it's even tasted by our taste buds as as, as we drink the cup of his blood poured out for us and and we eat the the bread which represents his body torn for us on the cross. In a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. We're going to clearly portray to one another and with one another the death of Christ for us on the cross. Listen, you don't have to be worthy to share this with us. You don't have to have done anything good or impressive. Your wheat doesn't have to have gone a certain kind of way. You don't have to be feeling a certain kind of spiritual state of heart this morning to take this. In fact, if you take this, you're saying you're not worthy. You can't do it yourself. You haven't got it. You haven't got the answers. You're saying, I believe, help me in my unbelief. If you have put your faith in him, if you've sat down on a chair, if you've got on the plane, then your peace with God is given to you and won by him. Your legitimacy to come and receive this is given and won for you by Christ. It's grounded in his death, not how you feel about yourself. So come and receive. If your faith is in him, when, when this is brought to you and you're offered it, open up your hands and take. Open up your heart and receive and, and be nourished and be restored and renewed. Have the full assurance and joy that only faith in Christ can bring and taste and see that he is good and that he is for you. If you know deep down that your faith isn't in him yet, not today, if that's, if that's what you're thinking, then We're so glad you're with us. We just ask you to be honest with yourself and with us. And don't take it. This is for those who are putting their faith in Christ. We'd ask you to reflect on the words of the song we're going to sing as we take it and reflect on on this. What is your hope in life and death? I'm going to pray as the musicians come up and then uh, Toby and myself will come in and serve it as as we stand and sing after the prayer. Let, Let us just pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have freed us. It does not rely on us. It does not matter how our week has been. It does not matter how we feel today. If our faith is in you, we are secure. As we take this cup and as we take this bread, would you restore and renew our faith as we portray and proclaim your death to one another. Renew us in our faith. We pray these things in your name. Amen.